in the very final one, which is the sword of the Spirit. We've been kind of working through Ephesians 6, 14 through 17, and we finally get to the end now. The whole thing goes like this. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the interesting thing is, this is like my favorite part when I grew up as a kid of the Ephesians 6 armor, because as a kid, it was always about the sword to me. You know, I love that. Uh, yeah, I was in, I'm a preacher's kid, so I was in vacation Bible school and Sunday school, and I had all little cutouts and all the different things. And sometimes we kind of would add a piece of the armor every week in Bible school or something, in vacation Bible school. And I couldn't wait till we got to the sword, because that was what it was all about to me. It was always about the sword. And I love the fact that the sword was the Bible. Yeah, I always thought when I was a kid, they should make a sword that's cut out in the shape of a Bible, you know, and you could like look through it and remind you it's the sword, it's the sword, the sword. Imagine my shock, though, when I went to study the text for this, and I realized I don't actually think that's what Paul's saying. That's what we say. That's how we always do it. Every preacher I've ever heard preach on the subject always you know, pivots from this point to say the word of the God, and then we just talk about the importance of the Bible, which I certainly am willing to do. You know, We've preached many sermons on the importance of the Bible, but I actually don't believe uh, that's what Paul's saying here. I think he's being more general than that, I think he's being uh, there specifically being more general than that, and here is why. Uh, we say the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you just look at that from an English standpoint, we don't really know whether he's talking about the Spirit, which is a sword, or the Word, the way that's phrased, and Greeks know better, but he says Word of God. He does not use the word Scripture. There's a different Greek word for, uh, for Scripture than there is for the Word of God. In fact, he does use the word scripture other places, like here in 2 Timothy when he's writing to his protege. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So he does use the word scripture elsewhere. Uh, the writer of Hebrews uses the word scripture as well. It's actually probably the more used word in the New Testament than the word that he chooses to use in Ephesians because there are actually, this gets confusing, I know, but there's actually two words that mean word. <laughs> Okay, so uh, you know, there's two Greek words that we both translate as a single word, word. And I'm going to show them both to you because they're different, and he, he uses them differently. So logos is the most common one. Logos is actually, we get some words actually from that as well. Uh, if you're a logophile, that means you're a um, you know, lover of words, and there's different kind of things. And logos is something that most Christians, you've been around church for a while, you've heard that term. This is the Greek word, but it actually means a collection of words or thoughts, and it's usually used as the constant written word of God, which we record in the Bible. So usually when, the, when they're talking about scriptures, they're going to use the word logos. That's what, it, that's what the word they'll use. That's not the word Paul uses in Ephesians. There's this other word that you have to be in Christian for a very long time to have heard, uh, but there's a word called rima. There used to be, like a, I think there is like a, still a Rima Bible College or something, and that's where this word comes from. That's different, though. This means that which is or has been uttered by the living voice. What I'm speaking right now would be Rima. The words that I'm showing you on the scripture here would be Logos, right? So there's, there's two different words for it, and he deliberately uses Rima. He does not use Logos. I believe he's making a very careful distinction here, which is why he put it the way he put it. He is not separating the word from the spirit. Now, we do, modern Christianity kind of picks a side on this one. We either teach uh, the word without the spirit or we teach the spirit without the word. And it seems to be the way modern Christianity does it. We're always splitting those two things. And we've talked about this 
several weeks ago in the My God Is God series, I guess months ago by now. I'm not going to rehash all that again. But there's two huge divides in Christianity today. If you, if you watch online or you, you listen to radio, and they're either on one side or the other, and they're either separating the Word from the Spirit and holding on to the Word, or they're separating the Word from the Spirit and holding on to the Spirit. Uh, we see that. And so you'll see the people who kind of focus on the Spirit more than the Word they're much more interested in experiences, the Christian experience. And they're very much interested in their personal testimony, what I know, what I feel. And you also hear them say things like, you need to follow your heart. But that's a dangerous thing to do because, as Jeremiah tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, a very bad guide for you. In other words, you really don't want to do that. But what about the word without the spirit? We see that as well. There's, a, in fact, the largest denomination in America, believes that the power of the Holy Spirit to speak in our lives and perform miracles in lives has ceased. They're called secessionists, and they believe very strongly that that no longer is necessary, so the Holy Spirit just doesn't do it anymore. Some of the gifts are still here, but not those, not what they would call the prophetic gifts or the miraculous gifts. Those are all gone away. We don't need them because we have the written word, and what they've done is they've removed the Spirit from the word. And so you can study the word and you can do exegesis and they'll teach you how to break it down and all these teachers, you know, you, you'll know these. I mean, there's several of them online as well. You know, this is the John MacArthur's of the world or the Charles Stanley's of the world where they're even going, you know, they, they teach line by line through the Bible and they break it apart and they'll teach you the etymologies of the words and, and we're studying the scripture, but we're studying it absent the spirit. In fact, um, the largest denomination I was talking about, the Southern Baptists, and this is going way back to the foundation of the Baptists in 1689. This is what they said. The whole counsel of God, everything concerning all things necessary for his glory and man's salvation, faith and life, everything, is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture. That's it. You don't need anything else in the Scriptures. It's complete and total. Unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or by meditations of men. They're not saying you can't have anything else added to the Bible. They're saying you can't have anything else added to your life. There's nothing else you need in your life. You don't need a revelation of the Spirit. You don't need it. You don't need any kind of traditions. None of that matters. All that matters is you have the Bible, you have the Bible in hand, you're fine. And there's a reason for this. And the reason is because if you're going to study something, it has to be static. It's like a butterfly. You want to study a butterfly and it's flying, you can't. You can observe it, but if you really want to study the butterfly, you've got to take it and pin it to the page. Once it's pinned to the page, then you can study it. And they want to study the Word, they want to study the Scripture, and therefore it has to be static. They have to take the Spirit out, you've got to pin the Word to the page. And this is kind of similar to another kind of uh, something that is, exists in, in academia. If you've, some of you college students and you've gone through this, has anybody ever studied Latin, for example? Uh, there's a, the reason we study Latin to this day is because Latin is a language of science and math and medicine and all these things. If you ever wonder why, uh, there's a reason for it. And it's not, I always thought the reason Latin was the big thing was because the Roman Empire was the big thing and it spoke Latin and so it carried it everywhere, but that's actually not true. Those of you, I know I'm, I'm speaking to some people who are nurses and I have some doctorate's degrees and you've studied Latin. And the reason why you study the Latin and the reason why Latin is used is because it's a, what they call a dead language. In fact, if you've ever studied Latin, you probably know the Latin student's prayer, limerick, that goes like this. Latin is a dead language, as dead as it can be. First it killed the Romans, now it's killing me. I mean, that's kind of how most people who study Latin feel. It's kind of this complicated thing. Why in the world are we stuck with this? We're stuck with this because Latin is a complete language. It was you know, spoken by millions of people for a lot of time, but it's dead. There's nothing being added to the language anymore. The words aren't changing. There's no words coming into it. 
unlike, say, English. In English, words are changing. We get words added in, we have words changing. When I was growing up as a kid, if my dad came home and said, I feel a little gay, everybody would thought we're going to go have a party because that's what gay meant. You know, we still have it in deck the halls, you know, it still shows up there. Nowadays, though, if your father were to come home and say, I feel a little gay, we'd have an intervention in the family, right? I mean, it'd be a little bit different because the word gay has changed in my lifetime. It's changed. There's a lot of words like that have changed. So you wouldn't want to use English to describe these things because the languages are changing. If you're going to want to stu study something, it needs to not be changing. And I believe that's why it's so very, very important to those people who really put a lot of emphasis on the study of the word that the word can't possibly change and the spirit can't still be moving because then it's not static. There is, of course, one huge problem with this approach, and that's the word itself tells us it is living and it's not static. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul the spirit. It tells us it's living. The Bible is supposed to be a living document. It's not supposed to ever be static or dead. And here's the problem we have when we don't do what Paul does. Paul says, I'm not separating the word and the spirit. They go together. So when you're talking about the sword, he's talking about the sword that is made up of God's word plus the spirit together. And that's the sword. If you don't have that, you don't have the sword. And the reason he's doing it is because the spirit without the word is too vast to be understood. I feel sorry for these people who are all just into the biggest experience they can get to in the Christian life. They're always chasing the next experience. But without the word, you can't understand the experience. You're going to misunderstand the experience. You're going to think God's telling you one thing when he isn't. Even though you may have had a real genuine experience with God, but if you don't have a spirit that can give you the structure for it, the, the word that gives you the structure for it, you're not going to understand it. So the, the spirit without the word is too vast to be understood. The word without the spirit is just one dimensional ink on a page. And let me tell you something, and I'm telling you this with, with all my heart into this. If all you have is memorized scripture with no spirit, the devil is not afraid of it. I mean, I know some people think you open the Bible and the devil runs. Listen, when devil had his confrontation with Jesus Christ, he quoted Scripture. He's not afraid of Scripture. What he's afraid of is Scripture combined with the Spirit. That's frightening to him. But just the words, pff, he doesn't care. He takes these and manipulates them in people's minds all the time. The Scripture itself does not scare the devil. The printed word does not scare Satan. You will not stop his attacks or rebuff his attack, or start your own attack, if all it is, is things you've memorized and you're spewing back out. That won't work. That won't work. It needs to be alive. The living word of the living God, that scares the devil quite a bit. Okay, so uh, when we see that Paul actually starts praying that the word gets spread, and he's now talking about the scriptures, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will be spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it was with you. So when we came to you and we gave you that, it spread. Why? Because the Spirit was with it. You can't just spread words. It's the Spirit spreading the words. It's a living word. Because uh, we'll be rescued from, from perverse and evil men because not all of them have your faith. So we're, we're, we're trying to tell people this, but they're not catching it even when we're using the same words because they don't have the faith that you had. It caught and caught fire. God will speak today to you, I believe, in three ways. And all of them are His word. And I think that's what we understand. When Paul says that the Bible is you know, the word of the Lord, he's speaking the Bible plus. He's speaking every way the word of the Lord comes to you is what you use to fight, this, fight back Satan. And so the first way and the primary way, and you know, here's where the Southern Baptists and I completely agree, is through Scripture. In my life, God has spoken to me many different ways, but by far and away the most common, 
the most long-lasting. And the things I've really changed my life about has been things he's revealed to me through his scripture. And, and we know that because everybody says it. In the entire Bible, people say it. All the way back in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, From your teachings I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. He's saying, the more I get to know your scriptures, the more I hate lies. Because I'm starting to understand the difference between lies and the truth. And there's a lot of people tell you a lot of things, and a lot of them are lies. He said, but the more I get into it, the more I realize, well, that's all lies, and I hate it. And then he says the famous phrase that a lot of us know, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. And the way I always picture this is when I was a little boy, a little, I don't know how little, I guess I was a teenager, I went to Bible school, uh, Bible camp, summer camp, up in Seneca Hills, up uh, north of Franklin, way up there, almost into Canada, you're way up there. And uh, we were in this mountain, this area, of course, and so we had two, two kind of mountains or hills, we called them, and then down in the middle was the valley. On this side was the girls' camp, on this side was the boys' camp, and you weren't supposed to cross that valley. You know, at night, you stayed in your camp. That was the theory anyway. So we're up there, and then for some reason, I don't know why, we had all these cabins, and that's not where they put the bathroom. They put the bathroom like halfway between the valley and the, and the cabins, right? So at night, when you had to wake up in the middle of the night, your kid, you know, maybe eighth grade or something, and you have to go to the bathroom, you got to make your way down a trail to the, to the to latrine. And, you know, for some of us, that means we come out of the top bunk <laughs> down and go out. And they had lights on the, la- on the little posts of the fence going down, but most of them were burned out. <laughs> or maybe kids pranked it and took out the bulbs, I'm not sure. But you'd get out there and you'd see like these little blobs of light going down the hill, but they didn't illuminate very far. And it, it was really great when you got to one, though. You know, we're supposed to have flashlights, by the way, but we, you know, play games with our flashlights, and most of them are burnt out by the third day of camp. So, you know, you're supposed to have a flashlight, but you get out there, and you basically use these little tiny blobs of light that are at the base of these things, and you would only be able to see so far. And then you hoped you'd find another blob of light to get, because, I mean, you're going down a little bit of a treacherous path, and it's, you're tired, and, by the way, you have to go to the bathroom. So um, it wasn't a good, <laughs> a good thing. Anyway, but this, these little lights would kind of guide you and you would wish for more of them along the way. This is the image that I get when I hear that a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. It's not going to blow a light all the way down. You know, these aren't halogens, buddy. These are little tiny, you know, oil lamps is what he's talking about. And it's going to give you a little bit to walk to the next point and then you get another little light to walk to the next point. And I really come to the believe after a lot of years of being a Christian that being a Christian basically comes walk as far as you can see and do what you know. I mean, that's really kind of the walk of the Christian path. And as we're talking about here, he said, I have sworn I will confirm it, the word, and I will keep your righteous ordinances. So he's saying that I'm going to study this. Now, there's one really important reason, because everybody wants to move to the next one. You know, we're going to talk about the next one where God literally speaks to you or speaks to your heart or speaks to your mind. That happens too. Everybody wants that. Because, boy, then, you know, I can say, this is easier. I can just like say, God, what do you want me to do? And God tells me, okay, like a little tiny you know, speaker in my ear, you know, like the president has, whatever, you know, or one of those newscasters. What, what do you want me to say? I'm getting at something, okay, and I know what to do. That would be great. Most Christians I talk to, that's what they'd want. If they could have anything in the world, if you say, how would you like God to communicate with you? It'd be like, if I got a little tiny you know, earpiece that came straight from heaven, and I would know exactly what to do in all cases, that'd be great. You can't even get anywhere near there unless you get past this first one. And the reason is because Scripture teaches you God's character. 
Here's the problem with hearing voices in your head. <laughs> is some people hear them, and their names like things like Son of Sam. He heard voices in his head, right? Voices in our head are dangerous things. And usually when you talk about people hearing voices in their head, we're locking them up because they're dangerous to themselves and society. But we're actually saying as Christians, but I want that voice in my head. The problem is that you can hear a lot of things. Unless you know who God is, and you know his character, and you know everything about him, you can be fooled by false voices. And a lot of Christians I know who are reaching out, trying to hear God, or hearing something, but it's not God. And they'll tell me things that they think God's saying to them, and I'm saying that can't be from God. And they won't listen to me, because that's all they want. And I said, boy, if you just pick up the Bible, you would know that's not from God. I had a guy tell me once that God wanted him to divorce his wife and marry his secretary. I said, that can't be from God. That can't be from God. That cannot be God's voice you're hearing. But you will never be fooled by an imposter if you know who God's character is. I've said before, you know, if somebody called and tried to leave me a message and say they're Victoria, good luck. You have to not only mimic her voice, but her accent. You know, good luck with that. I'll know it's not her. But even if, you, even if you sent me a text and you said it was from Victoria, I would know if it were her or not because I know how she texts me. I know everything about that. Right? I, I understand her very well by now, and I would not be fooled if somebody told me something, this came from your wife. And I would know, well, that sounds like something my wife would say, or no, it doesn't. In uh, the book of John, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. My sheep know my voice, and I know their voice. I, I, I'm with them, and, and they follow me, and I will give eternal life to them, and they'll never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hands. Here's why. They know my voice, and I know them. Now, if you looked in the old days of the shepherds, when they would take them out, the sheep out, they'd go through the gates, and by the gates, there's always one last pool of water that sheep could drink from before they hit the road. And then the shepherd would call them, and they'd follow him out. There'd be all kinds of sheep milling around. Have you ever seen any movies of this or anything, or, or documentaries? But when the shepherd calls out, the sheep know his voice, and they follow him. Nobody else does. You might see some straggler, like, where's they all going? I'm going with him. And then all of a sudden, the other sheep, the shepherd calls and go back, right? Because they know his voice, and they've learned to trust him. And this is what Jesus is saying. You'll know my voice. Well, how do you know your voice? You have to study his word. You'll never recognize his voice if you don't study his word. Because here's where he tells you who he is. Uh, Victoria told me a story. And uh, I, I wanted to get her to tell it, but she won't. So she thinks her accent's too bad. And, and you guys all need to tell her. You'd love to hear her tell a story sometime. But um, here's the story as I remember it. I might get the details wrong, but if I do, it's her fault because I asked her to tell the story and she won't. Uh, but when Stas went off to Afghanistan, uh, he did not have to go. We actually had worked very hard to get him to ferment because he was in the ROTC program and he did not have to go. But he went anyway because he felt they needed him. And this really kind of threw us in a turmoil, and Victoria specifically, because her only son was going off to a very dangerous place. He didn't need to be there, but he was going to go anyway. And she was very worried, and she was crying out to God and saying, why would you let this happen? And after she was all done yelling, uh, she said, you have to protect him. You have to make sure he's okay so he comes home. You have to do that. And God spoke to her and said, I can do that. And she, she heard from that, no, I can't do that, I will do that. And she came, she told me, I, I prayed, and God told me he's going to protect Stas, I'm not worried anymore. I said, well, that's great, you know, because he's going. <laughs> Whether we're worried or not, he's going. And uh, so he went, and Victoria was you know, walking around the neighborhood praying, which she would sometimes do. And as she's praying, a voice came to her head that says, Stas is going to die, but I'll be with you through it, don't worry. And she, she heard that not just once, 
You know, she'd be like, well, that was weird. And she, next day she hears, so finally she told me. So I heard this set, another voice that says something really troubles me. I said, what's that? And she told me. I said, that can't be from God. She says, why do you say that? I said, well, and I wasn't even a preacher then, by the way. I think God sometimes gives us recall when we need it. I said, well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, um, God's contradicting something he told you before, and that causes confusion. And we know that God is not a God of confusion. There's a scripture that says, I, didn't, I couldn't have told you then what the scripture was, but I knew God, there's a scripture, God is not the God of confusion. Uh, I said, second of all, all prophetic word is given to us for edification. Paul says that, the edification of the body. So in other words, prophecy is given to you to build you up, to edify you for your good. I said, there's no edification here. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing that will help you with. There's no possible edification here. So that wouldn't be a prophetic word because prophetic word comes to you with edification. The third reason this can't be from God is because it's caused fear in your life. And God does not give us fear because perfect love casts out fear. So there's three scriptures I could tell you that cannot be from God. It can't be. It's a false voice. And she said, you're right. And so then she rebuked the voice the next time it came and it left. See, this is something that only happens, though, if you know the scriptures. If you don't know the scriptures, now you don't know what to believe. I thought God told me this, but now he's telling me this. No, he isn't. Because it can't be, that's not the character of God. It can't be. You have to know that. So uh, the other thing we have to kind of get an idea is the scriptures and God speaking us through scriptures. And the, the way that works, by the way, is for me, and uh, just to tell you my personal life, which might be different than your experience, but when I'm having what I call a spirit-led Bible study, which is different than if I'm just kind of going through the book of Ephesians or something, I'm letting God kind of lead me in the Bible. I've talked about that before too. But um, so I kind of go through this. God will start leading me through scriptures, and then there'll be one that just kind of hits me between the eyes. I actually circle those in my Bible. I'm like, man, God actually smacked me with this verse. You know, this is a real important verse to me. And that is like a lot of times what guides me in what I do. You know, when God speaks to me through scripture. And somebody says, well, I don't really want to. I really wish he would just speak to me verbally. No, you don't. When God speaks through his written word, it's not less valuable than when he speaks to your mind or your heart. It's more valuable. This is much better, folks. Speaking through his scriptures is much, much better. In my life, I've only had a handful of times where I felt like God spoke to me and not in an audible voice. Some, got, some people have heard that. I've never heard that. But I've had him like really kind of hit me in my mind with this thought that was contrary to everything I was thinking at the time, and I just knew it wasn't coming from me. I've had it only a couple times in my life. Once I've talked about before, it happened about seven years ago, before we even began to think about Spirit Chapel. It was, and it was this... It was, I'm sorry, the dumbest thing God decided to talk to me about. I mean, there were so many things I wish God would speak to me about, and this had nothing to do with any of that, you know. He popped in at the weirdest moment. I don't know why it was important for him to tell me what he told me, but he did, right? And so I knew it was God. I knew it was important. And so I'm listening to it, and like, okay. And I, could, I got very emotional because this is what happens the few times it's happened. I get very emotional. I actually start weeping. It's very difficult uh, to, you know, kind of stay stoic when God's speaking to you. And I, I was, this actually, I've talked about this before. It happened on Broadlawn Drive, those of you guys know it. And we lived on, on Country Club Drive in Mount Vernon. That's like a three-minute drive. And God spoke to me like for 58 seconds. Three minutes later, I was home. I went to tell Victoria what he said, and I was forgetting already what he said. Now, I don't know how you are, but I find it very, very difficult to hold heavenly thoughts in my earthly mind. It, it leaks. My mind leaks. I can't hold it, you know? And so by the time I got to Victoria, she would ask me questions. Well, what did God say about this? I can't remember, you know? Here's the gist of what he said. I can't tell. I actually went right from there to write it down so I would keep it forever. And it's, it's missing some stuff. I mean, even to this day, just last week when I was preparing the sermon, I remembered something else that came out in that conversation that I'd forgotten before. 
the beauty about God speaking to you through his written word is you can read it over and over and over again. When God speaks to you through scripture, it's there. It doesn't move. And, and you don't have to worry about writing it down. It's already written down for you. All you have to just go back and reread it. And you can parse it all you want. You know, if Victoria wants to ask me, well, what did he say? It's, well, here, read it for yourself. This is what he said. It was right here. And you don't have to worry about it. You're not going to miss anything. It's so very important that we start treasuring this method of God speaking to us through his scripture. And you have to get there. After there, then he will start speaking to you through revelation. And this can come many different ways. Uh, I've had it happen to me, usually when I'm crying out in anguish. That's most common. But this other time I talk about it, he popped in. I wasn't even praying. I didn't think I was, but God doesn't wait. <laughs> he just popped in and, and started speaking to me. Uh, so we have to understand that God does speak through revelation. I, I get really frustrated that people say, no, 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 that can't happen, that can't happen. So really, then how come God tells us he will? In the very scriptures that you guys study, he says that he does. In fact, this is gifts of the Spirit. These are gifts of the Spirit. Paul's listing them all. This is a section of it in 1 Corinthians 12. He says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 8. For to one person is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So he's like words, which is like little doses, little packs of wisdom and little packs of knowledge that you need according to when you're going to need it. Just like, boom, gives it to you right in time. And I don't know if you've ever had a situation like that where God has, has guided your path and later on you say, I don't even know why I made the decision. It just seems so obvious to me at the time. I've actually had that. I've had people ask me later, well, why'd you decide that? And I said, well, it was obvious because of this. And they said, well, didn't you consider this, 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 and this? I was like, no, I never considered any of that. And it turned out to be the right choice, right? But sometimes God just leads you that way. A word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, it's a wonderful thing. What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge is knowledge of facts, which sometimes is very useful. Wisdom is knowing what to do, which is even better. Uh, the, you know, the example I always use is the difference between wisdom and knowledge is knowledge lets you know that tomato can be considered both a fruit or a vegetable. Wisdom tells you you never put a tomato in a fruit salad. You know, that's, that's wisdom. That's applied knowledge. So, so that's kind of the difference. All right. The other thing, and I love this verse because this is where we're going to be leaping off of in the next, in the next uh, series. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. That's in the same phrase. So I want you to see what he's saying here. Do not quench the spirit. You know what quenching means? If you have a fire here, if I had a fire running, and I, and I got this big bucket of water, and I threw it on the fire, that's called quenching the fire. So I want you to get that image in your mind. The Holy Spirit is coming to you as you know, tongues of fire. is coming to you. It's going to light up your life and you know, all this stuff, and you're going to take water and just throw it on it. Would you do that? No. No one wants to do that. Paul says, don't quench the spirit. You don't want to do that. But then he goes right on to the next thing is, do not despise prophecy. So if you reverse that, you'll see he's saying if you despise prophecy, you will be quenching the Spirit. In other words, if God's trying to speak to you and you just like, I'm not going to accept that, guess what happens? God stops speaking to you. Why would he bother? Do you keep talking to somebody who's doing this? No. You say, okay, well, I guess I'll speak to someone who wants to hear me. I'm not going to speak there. The problem is the Spirit is also what leads you through the Bible. You've quenched the entire Spirit. Not just the spirit that speaks, but the spirit that leads you through the scripture. And, and you have a spiritless life now. And this is what Paul's saying. He says, do not do that. Now, not all prophetic word you think you hear is true, which is why you need to examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is true. You know, we have people come up to us sometimes, and I think I was led by the Lord to tell you this. And you pray about it and say, no, I don't know what you heard, but that wasn't from the Lord. 
And sometimes people come up and said, I think God's telling me this for you. And it's absolutely right. It's almost scary how right it is sometimes. Um, I think I told this a couple weeks ago, but when Victoria was first going through this situation, she's going through with this poison ivy and this, this post-poison ivy thing she's dealing with still, uh, she was told before it all started by God, it was going to happen. And then we ended up in the hospital and uh, she was praying, you know, she was exam- I guess the emergency room, and God said, could, because usually she prays for healing and God heals her. And there's many, many times God has healed her uh, before service and stuff so she can do her job here. And she's praying for God to heal her and God didn't heal her. And she was a little bit angry with God and said, why, why are you not healing me? And God spoke to her and told her, you're, I'm not going to heal you this way. You're going to go through this, but I'm going to be with you and you're going to be fine. And uh, she didn't like that message from the Lord, but she told me that's what God said. She said, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be fine, but I'm going to go through it. And we just thought, well, okay, that's a couple days. We'll be done. It turns out it's been weeks. Um, but, you know, along the way, she got a phone call from Young, who called her up and was talking to her on the phone. And Young said, I believe God's going to teach you something through this, but you're going to have to go through it. So there's confirmation already from something else that she had said. And then we come to church a couple weeks ago, and I don't know if any of you have met Linda Matthews. She's a really sweet woman, but she's really shy. She's a very shy woman. And uh, after church, you know, I was talking to her. She goes, I have to say something to your wife. I said, go ahead. You know, she was here. And those were the days when she wasn't always in all the services, but she was there. And she went over and says, I don't know what to, how to do this, but um, I have to tell you this. I think God's saying, you're okay. You're going to get through it, but you're going to have to go through it. Right. And so this is a person who's like never speaks prophetic utterances or anything, but she really felt impressed upon her spirit that this was a message to get to Victoria. And so Victoria said, you know, thank you. That's like the third time now she's heard this. And yet it's still hard to go through it. Right. Even with all that confirmation from God, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. It's like, oh, I don't know, God, you still here. I just told you I'm still here. You know, but this is how we are with God sometimes. And then when we finally met the doctor who could tell her, you know, the diagnosis, what does he tell her? Says he looks her in the eye and says, you're going to be fine. You're going to get through this. It was like four times God told her the same message, right? You're going to get through this, but it's going to take time. So that was the message, and that's something that you have to hold on to. That is the spoken word of God. Is there a scripture that I can point to that shows that? No, I can't. I can't possibly show you a scripture, but is that a truth? Yes. And sometimes when Victoria says, I don't know about this, I'll say, Victoria, what did God tell you? The word of the Lord is a sword. The word of the Lord comes to us in many ways. Scripture is one of them. It's a very important one of them, but it is not the only way, right? We see this, by the way, in Jesus. We, when Jesus is you know, first baptized and goes in the wilderness, we all know the thing, and the devil comes and tempts him. I want you to show you his first, the devil's first attack looks like this. Devil, the, I'm sorry, Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he they became hungry, of course. By the way, the devil always attacks you when you're weak. That's why it's always important to get a good night's sleep and eat because the devil will wait for you to be weak. He does not play fair. He doesn't say, oh, go ahead, catch a breath. No, no. When you're gasping for breath is when he loves to attack. So he became hungry and the tempter, that's the devil, came and said, you know, if you are the son of God, then you could command these stones to become bread. And I want to show you the first attack is if you are the son of God. Now, what scripture does Jesus have that says he's the son of God? None. There's not a scripture. We have them because they're written after he died. We have scriptures that said Jesus of Nazareth is the son of God. But as Jesus sat there right there in the de- desert against the devil, there was no scripture he could point to and said, no, this scripture says I'm the... No, 
Those scriptures would come later. There's all kind of prophecy that said the Messiah was coming, but there was not one scripture Jesus could have pointed to that said, yeah, I'm the son of God. He can't. He doesn't need it. You know why? Because the word of the Lord told him. Because if you go back one chapter from here to the end of chapter three, we see this. When he's baptized, he comes up, the heavens part, the spirit of God descends like a dove, and this happens. A voice comes out of the heavens, booming, and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's not scripture yet, because it hasn't been written down yet, but it's still the word of the Lord. The word of God said to Jesus, you are my beloved son, and I am well pleased in you. He doesn't need scripture. He has the word of the Lord. It's still the word of the Lord. Scripture is just one form of the word of the Lord. The other thing we have to understand is that the word of the Lord will come to us and help us. We don't have to worry about it. We, sometimes we spend so much time and we get into something we call, in my world, the analysis paralysis. You know, we're all just like, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm just, if I knew I'd do it, but I don't know, so I'm going to do nothing. And I think I, we should learn from the disciples. Example. Because I want to show you this. This is like these little disciples working through the world, trying to spread the word, right? And they pass through Phygian and the Galatian region because why? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Why is that? Because God hates Asians? No, it just wasn't time yet. I don't want you going to Asia yet. I want you going this way. Okay, so they head back this way. They keep walking. So after a while, they come to Mysia and then they're trying to go into Bithynia and the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't permit them to go there. It's like, whoop, you know, like, the, like a big stop sign from the Holy Spirit saying, nope, don't go there. Okay, and they're going to finally end up uh, they pass by it, and they actually come down the truss, and this, they'll actually end up in another place where God's sending them. But I want you to show, they're walking along, believing they're going the right way, and God says, no, 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 this isn't right. You need to go that way. Okay, we'll go that way then. See, that's the beauty of it, right? That the Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us as long as we're open and we're not quenching His Spirit, then He'll continue to lead us and guide us. And I don't think God was mad at them. They thought they're going to go into Asia, and He said, no. He's not angry with them, so I just don't want you going there. I want you going this way. And so he's guiding them and leading them. And this is something we need to get used to. Uh, someone asked me what it was like when we started Spirit Chapel. And I always uh, compare our starting days of Spirit Chapel is I'm a frog on a lily pad. And God would say, jump. And I would jump heading to that lily pad over there. And in midair, God would push me into that lily pad right there. Because there's so many times I was convinced I was doing the right thing and I jumped and I ended up someplace else. But God was always moving me in the direction he chose. Really hard to move a frog that's not in the air, though. <laughs> if you're sitting there and won't go, you know, so God, God will move you. God will take care of you. Just don't get so headstrong that you can't hear him. We have to understand. So um, we know that Jesus knew that he was the son of God because God spoke and Jesus knew. And we have to understand that that's what we want. We want God speaking and therefore we know. And, and when we get there, we will actually understand that God is always trying to speak to us. I'm going to give you a third way that God speaks to us, and you're not going to believe this one. I just, I just know it. Some of you are going to go, that's weird. It is weird, but I'm telling you, God has spoken through my prayers to me. He has spoken through my prayers to me. And I believe that you need to understand that God wants to speak to you, and if you're in communion with God, he speaks. <coughs> and when you're praying, you're a lot closer to God than you think. And there has been many, many, many times when I've, been pre when I've been praying, and as I'm praying, all of a sudden, something comes out of my mouth that I really never thought I'd heard before or thought before. It's kind of like, Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? It's like, wait a minute. Is this 
God? Because that wasn't what I was going to say, and that's what came out of my mouth. I really think it's very important to pray out loud. I didn't think that until 2019, by the way. This is a new thing that was kind of, I found this, somebody wrote an article on it. I read it, I'm like, my goodness, this guy's right. We need to start praying out loud, and I usually didn't. You know, because God can read your thoughts. I'm not saying you can't pray silently. And certainly when Paul says, you know, pray never ceasing, we must be praying silently or people be locking us up, right? So it's okay to pray silently, but I think you lose some things when you pray silently. For one thing, you lose this experience where you're praying and something comes out of your mouth and it's just like, wait a minute, that wasn't from me. I wasn't going to say that. I started to, and then it just kind of came out differently. And we have to understand that. Now, we know because the scripture says the Holy Spirit prays for us. But we usually overlook the idea that he could be praying this way. In Romans 8, Paul says, the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray, so we should, as we should. Now, that's true of my prayer life. Like That just sums up my prayer life 90% of the time. I don't know how to pray. You know, someone comes to me, they ask me for prayer, and I don't know how to pray. I don't know. But that's cool because, God, because Paul's saying the Holy Spirit knows and he'll help you in this moment. The Spirit himself will intercede for us. Now, watch how he describes it, with groanings too deep for words. Okay, so two things about that. First of all, that doesn't really sound very um, eloquent or evangelical, groanings. But this is what he says. He's saying the Holy Spirit comes through, and like he's saying, I'm praying. I don't know how I'm going to pray. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit kind of takes over my prayer, and he, and he does stuff I don't understand. It's too deep for words even, and the Holy Spirit starts praying through me. And I believe the Holy Spirit does that. This is kind of the basis of the idea of this thing called a prayer tongue, that he can pray through you with things you don't understand because he searches the hearts and knows what's in the mind of the spirits and is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So he will actually intercede in your prayer and pray something that you need to pray. It's really hard to do that when you're praying silently, though. This is why I really think it's important to pray out loud. And the other thing I've learned is that when you pray out loud, you commit to your prayer. We commit to our prayer. And uh, if you don't pray out loud, your mind, I'll just put my, maybe your minds are rock solid, but my mind flits. It goes everywhere, right? Uh, if I'm driving along the road and I'm praying in my mind, you know, and some idiot cuts me off in traffic, guess where my mind went? The idiot cutting me off in traffic, you know, and not to pray for him. <laughs> but uh, that's what happens, you know, and this happens all the time when I'm praying silently. My mind starts, and I realize, where, where was I, God? I can't remember. And, and I have to bring myself back, right? Because a lot of times we're doing something else while we're praying silently. Uh, sometimes I fall asleep when I'm praying silently. And I'm praying silently, and I wake up in the morning. Did I say amen? I can't even remember because my mind goes away. But man, when you pray out loud, you commit. I actually found that when I started praying out loud while I was driving, it was harder to drive. It literally kind of commits you to it, and you're praying out loud, and it's like the little things I do as a driver all the time, kind of without thinking, I couldn't do without thinking anymore because my mind was committed on making speech come out of my mouth. And just that little thing just commits you more to it, and I believe that we need to start doing that a little bit better. We need to start praying out loud because I believe as you pray out loud and get closer to God, your prayer will change in a way you didn't imagine. And pay attention to that because God's speaking. God's speaking with your own mouth. It's really weird. But God will actually start telling you things through your own prayer. And you'll start praying a different prayer. And you start realizing, this is what God wants me to do. It, prayer is a wonderful tool for many, many things. We just don't use it enough. We use it to ask for things. That's the only time we go to prayer is we want to tell God something. Sometimes, you know, we thank him for food or something. But most of the time, we're asking him for something. But prayer is much more than that. 
It's a communion with God. And when you're communion with God, he can use your own words to inform you what he wants you to know. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But finally, I want to end with this. Remember the sword attacks through action. All this is great. The word of the Lord's great. It's wonderful we have this sword, but the sword was not designed to sit in the scabbard. It's safe there. It'll never get nicked there. It'll never get hurt there. It's easy to keep it there. But that's not the sword's purpose. The sword was designed to attack. And what this whole thing's leading up to is we are supposed to attack. We are supposed to, the whole purpose of the armor, if you remember when we started, was to bring down strongholds. We're giving mighty spiritual warfare tools to bring down strongholds of the enemy. You won't do that playing defense. The word of the Lord is given to you to attack. That's the purpose of a sword. It is there to attack. So that means not only God speaks, but we do. That's the purpose of the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is not just to throw the devil from a distance and say, oh, I hope that hit, but actually to follow up with what God tells us to do. We see this in James 1. He says, don't merely listen to the word. That deceives yourself. A lot of people are deceived. They think that because they listen to sermons, they're better Christians. That's like me having a stack of men's health magazines that tell me how to get six-pack abs. Let me tell you, I'm not going to show you, I'll tell you, I don't have six-pack abs, okay? I don't care how many magazines I put on that stack, I will never get six-pack abs just by knowing how to get six-pack abs. That's not going to work. And if you just have a bunch of scriptures here, and the Word of the Lord, even prophecies written down, they're all there in a stack, they're just there, that won't accomplish anything we need to do. And if you think that just learning makes you a better Christian, you've really missed out on what Christianity is about. We are a blue-collar religion. It's done through doing, right? So we're supposed to get there. So don't deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. We have to. Because God's giving us his words for a purpose. I'm going to end with this scripture. This is from Isaiah, but this has never changed. We have to understand God's word comes to us for a purpose. And here's what he says. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word, which goes forth from my mouth, not return to me empty, without first accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I send you the word for a purpose, he says, and it's not coming back to me until it fulfills its purpose. It is our job to fulfill the purpose of God's word. We march forward with it as our weapon, but we march this whole thing was put together to bring down strongholds. And we won't see changes in our marriages, in our families, in our districts, in our townships, in our country. We won't see it until we start putting God's word into action and tearing down the strongholds of the enemy, which have been gone far too long, unchecked, because we've been way too busy praying for blessings. Would you all please pray with me?